Does anyone stay together anymore? And is anyone actually happy in their marriage or is it all smoke and mirrors? These are some of the comments I saw on social media a couple weeks ago after the announcement of Dave and Rachel Hollis's divorce. While we obviously have no idea what happened there, it sparked a lot of conversations in my life and even between Neil and me about what really keeps people together and what the makeup is of a happy marriage. Today, we're sharing some of the tips, advice, and actionable takeaways that have greatly helped strengthen our marriage that we hope will help you too. Hi, everybody. I'm here with Neil. Hi. And we are going to talk about marriage today. And the reason why we decided to have a podcast episode on marriage is because a very well-known couple in the social media world announced a couple weeks ago that they're getting divorced. And I was super sad about it. Um, My sister texted me right away and said, did you see that Rachel and Dave Hollis are getting divorced? And we talked about that a little bit. I talked about it with some friends. And, you know, it's such a bummer when things like that don't work out. But really what inspired us to do this podcast today about marriage and having a strong marriage was the comments that I saw on their announcement post. There were a lot of comments where people said, um, oh my gosh, does anyone stay together anymore? And a lot of people were like saying things about they felt like it was all smoke and mirrors or that, you know, just kind of does every couple that appears to be happy, are they just faking it? And is anyone actually really happy? And things like that, that kind of felt like they lended to despair and a lack of hope. So Neil and I talked a lot about it and what we believe goes into, you know, a strong marriage. And Neil had a little hesitation. Do you want to share your hesitation? Hesitation. Uh, I never want to come across as the person like it an expert on the topic. I don't have any degrees. I don't have any, I'm not like a doctorate level or anything like that. I mean, I took some classes in college about, you know, communication and relationships, but beyond that, I don't really have it, you know, anything other than my personal experience. So in no way, shape or form, you know, do I have, you know, corner the market on how to have a great marriage. I'm still, you know, very much practicing (laughs) Um, how to do this and figuring things out. And I'm just willing to share my experience and, and basically be used as a case study as like, Hey, you know, maybe there's something you resonate with here that can be helpful. Well, I feel the same too. It's not like we have all the answers, but what we decided to share are some truths from people who we, we believe are experts and people who have helped us have a better marriage and things that concepts that have helped us, go from, you know, there were definitely years where we really struggled to feeling like we have a good rhythm now and we've figured out how to uh, resolve resolve conflicts. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for helping me out there. And, you know, just some things that have really strengthened our marriage and give hope to some people who maybe are feeling like, oh my gosh, does anyone stay together anymore? Or are are there really good marriages out there? And I want to start by saying that my parents were a great example to me and continue to be of a really great marriage. Their dynamic is just beautiful to watch and they don't have a perfect marriage, but they were such a good example to me of two people who love each other and are committed to making each other happy and finding a common ground with things that really matter. So 
they always gave me a lot of hope because I feel like I had such a good example to look to growing up. But there are some things that Neil and I have specifically used within our marriage that I feel like have significantly helped us. But before we dive into those, I wanted to let Neil talk about something that he and I both found extremely interesting when we listened to Jennifer Finlayson Fife speak. So she spoke at like a kind of like a fireside chat before she recorded the episode with us where I asked her all about all my sex questions <laughs> I asked her. But before that, she gave a speech to a group of people at our church. This was several months ago. And she mostly talked about marriage. And she talked about why people get married. So do you want to, you have a better memory than me. Do you want to share that? Well, it's not perfect. But yeah, I did think it was really interesting what she said. And it made a lot of sense. I think one of the things that she mentioned was that people often get married for the wrong reasons. She and said people usually. People usually get married for the wrong mm -hmm. reasons. And I thought it was interesting how she described this. And so um, what she talked about, and, and, you know, I'm drawn from memory here and paraphrasing a lot. I'm sure that, you know, there's a podcast or something that we can maybe show and th throw in the show notes where she gets more into this. But um, she talks about, people often are looking for a sense of like self-validation that the other person is going to validate them as a individual and as a human being in some way, shape or form that's going to kind of make them feel whole, complete or better or at one. You complete me. Exactly. That's exactly <laughs> what I thought about. I yes. thought about that phrase, which um, I think that, you know, and, and she went on to talk about that, that that's really like if, if you're kind of looking for that to happen, that you're probably going to be disappointed because really the validation has to come from, you know, yourself and from God. And you kind of have to be able to have the, the capacity to like self-validate and know independent of another person that you're good enough, that you're, you know, smart enough, whatever, that you're complete. But then, you know, in having that security, then you bring that strength to a marriage situation and you bring your best self to the marriage and then you create something together as you both, the husband and wife come together and, and create um, that situation, then you create something bigger and better as you're both bringing your best selves. So that made a lot of sense to me. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of times the expectations that we have just in society and in our culture and for whatever reasons, we get get movies. it in our head. Movies, all yeah. these romantic movies, they're great, by the way. I, I, we love we love and watch all of them yes. um, on, you know, on date nights and whatnot. But I think that it kind of creates this notion of, uh, I'm going to find somebody that's going to save me or that's going to, you know, create, make me feel like I'm good enough. Yeah. And we're, you know, it, it puts a burden on the other person, such a, an expectation that, you know, you're just trying to get somebody to do something for you that's not really their job in the first place. Yeah. And what I remember finding so interesting about what she said was that most people marry someone who they feel like is giving them a reflection of themselves that they like. So like they want to marry someone who makes them feel like what they they want to think of themselves as, if that makes sense. So, you know, if someone is making them feel like, 
like, oh, this guy makes me feel like I'm pretty and I'm fun and I'm interesting or whatever. And then they like that self-reflection and that's what attracts them. It was super interesting to hear her describe it. It was much, she's, she did a much better job than I am right now. But I found that interesting and I thought a lot about my younger self and I was like, yeah, I did find myself attracted to guys that made me feel that reflection of myself that I was looking for. And then as far as what you're talking about with validation from within, I want to talk about that for a second because I remember hearing that when I was younger and feeling like, so I'm just supposed to validate myself and feeling like I have no idea how to do that. And for me, I can only speak for myself, but for me, what that has looked like is self-work on a connection with God. Because it's never enough for me to be like, I'm going to will myself or tell myself that I'm good enough and that's enough. For me, the validation has to come from Heavenly Father telling me that I'm good enough. And that only comes for me through diligent scripture study and prayer and like really heartfelt prayer to where I'm making that relationship with my Heavenly Father like he is my parent, the way that I would call my mom or my dad and want to just talk to them all about what's going on in my life, what I'm thinking, what my insecurities are, what I'm having a hard time with. And when I make that relationship that strong with my heavenly father, that's when I get that validation. And I feel like, you know, when I, I did so much work for years when Neil and I were going through his addiction recovery process, and I found that instead of trying to save him, I had to save myself and work on not being codependent. Meaning if Neil was having a good day, then that meant I could have a good day. And if he was having a bad day, it automatically ruined my day. That's kind of what codependency looked like for me. And instead cutting myself off from that process and saying, I'm going to work on whatever I need to feel happy and to feel validated. And when I really did that work and it was hard work, that's where I established that strong connection with my Heavenly Father to to truly validate me that I could be happy no matter what Neil was choosing in his life. And so that's what it's looked like for me. And that I feel like because I'm able to bring that to the table in our marriage, I can be a much stronger partner in our marriage, if that makes sense. But I just wanted to like really spell that out exactly what that looks like for me. Because when I used to hear people say like, oh, you don't have to be enough, you know, on your own and validate yourself. And I, I was like, that sounds nice, but what the heck does that even mean? You know? So that's what it looks like for me. Do you have anything to add of like what that looks like for you? Yeah. I mean, it's basically the same thing for me is making sure I think a lot of it's the same thing, really. I mean, it's prayer, meditation, um, establishing a connection, kind of with myself or my, my highest and best self and best idea, you know, ideals and goals and different things and and really focusing on developing that through, you know, different things that I'm doing, whether that's physical, spiritual, or emotional. Um, but most importantly, the key thing is the connection with God and really making sure that I'm in line with, with his will and I'm aligning, constantly trying to align myself with his will. And then it's, there's just a a certainty and a confidence Mm -hmm. to where I know that I'm, that I'm enough and that I'm good. And, and I can't say that I'm perfect all the time. And, and it, you know, not even close, like there's constantly a struggle to stay in that groove 
and stay in that place. Um, and really that's the battle that takes place on a daily basis for me. But I have found that, you know, my connection with God is really what drives that validation, true validation. I think there's a bunch of like kind of false validation that drives like addiction and and negative things that feed the ego and feed pride. Mm-hmm. And I think that that that's destructive. Um, and then, you know, you're bringing a lot of negative things into your own life. And then obviously that's going to be into your marriage and into to your relationship there. So um, that's kind of how it works for me. But I think that as each person works on their own connection with God or, you know, we, we love to talk about the 12 steps. So even if you don't believe in God, connection with a higher power, something that's greater than yourself, that's what allows you to bring a stronger person to the table. And then, you know, when two healthy people are working together, you have a, just the automatic result is a much stronger marriage. So I think that leads us to another really central part of why we've been able to work through even super hard things. And I think that's the fact that we have always been able to come back to a common belief. And when things get really hard, we can always say, okay, let's boil this down to the bottom line, which always for us is that we have a belief in Christ and a belief that, um, you know, Heavenly Father in the gospel. And I think because we have those common beliefs that really were the foundation of our marriage and why we decided to get married, we can always work out, you know, differences because we share that common belief. I think if you don't have that, it can be really tricky, you know, and strengthening that common belief has been really key for us too. I feel like as we've put those things in the center of our marriage, like saying prayers together or scripture study, I feel like this past year, as we've changed our family dynamic and done family scripture study every night with our kids, it's changed the tone of our whole family and our household. And so I think that if you have a common belief and you can put that in the center of your marriage, it's going to strengthen your marriage, you know, far beyond what I have just, I've read a lot of marriage books that have, you know, little cutesy things like, you know, things that I think are helpful. I don't think they're bad, but I just, in my own personal experience with Neil and with seeing what has actually really helped us strengthening that core center just it like has a trickle effect on everything else I just want to mention too really quickly if anyone's listening to this and and there are serious issues that I mean let me just say this if someone comes to a 12-step meeting and they are addicted to a substance and then someone tells them just read your Book of Mormon or just read the Bible and you'll be fine. Like there are definitely issues that need more help than like just pray, you know? And so if there's an addiction, if there's abuse, if there's even right now with what I'm dealing with, with postpartum depression, I realize that although I'm definitely going to my scriptures and praying a lot, that I needed more help than just that. And so I've sought out professional help to work through this time of my life. So I just want to say that, that there are definitely issues that like you need more help. And in the same way that if, 
Neil was suddenly diagnosed with like, you know, heart disease or lung cancer or something, we wouldn't just be like, well, if we pray more, it'll go away. You know? Yeah. No. Um, and, and I think of the example in the Bible where Christ, you know, the, the apostles try and, you know, rebuke these demons out of a person who's possessed and it doesn't work. And they come to Christ and they're like, why couldn't we do this? And Christ basically says to them, like, this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. It's like sometimes there are situations that require like a full court press. And I think for me, just in experiencing addiction or seeing different challenges, going through grief, um, seeing what Corinne's going through with postpartum, just some of these situations, it's like it requires like a village of people, like a like a team of people surrounding you and, and strengthening you in different ways and on all fronts in order to get through. And so, yeah, there are situations that are that are going to be unique and different. And, you know, definitely, I think that's great that you're making that clarification. Yeah. And I think that marriage, good marriage therapy can be really helpful. And even in my own therapy right now that I'm doing for postpartum depression, um, which we'll have to talk about at another time, but, you know, a couple of things about our marriage in particular have come up and, it's been really helpful to have my therapist say every marriage has a different rhythm and this is what your rhythm is like and that's okay. And it doesn't have to look like another person's marriage. And someone who has a wealth of knowledge has gone to school for this, has counseled tons of people for tons of hours can oftentimes help you see things that you're not seeing yourself. And so my strong recommendation, if you are looking for someone who's going to help you as a therapist is Number one, like the number one thing that I would say is ask around, like ask several people for, you know, who they recommend, because I, in my personal opinion, bad therapy is worse than no no therapy. I would agree. We've had that experience before. So if you ask, you know, several people, just like get up the courage and ask, ask in a Facebook group, ask in your community, ask people you trust. And if you get the same recommendation from a few people for you know, one particular therapist, that's probably a really good sign. So, you know, have, find a really good therapist that's recommended by more than one person. And then if possible, find someone who shares the same values as you, because I think that's also very helpful. But anyway, so that said, I think we can move on to some of the things that have helped us as far as tactical you know, things that you can take away today from this podcast episode and apply to your marriage right now. So the first thing that I wanted to share is that it's okay if your marriage doesn't look perfect right now and if it's a work in progress, because I think every good marriage is a work in progress. And I wanted to share a quotation from a talk that I absolutely love by Dieter F. Uchtdorf, and he says... Great marriages are built brick by brick, day after day, over a lifetime. And that is good news because no matter how flat your relationship may be at the present, if you keep adding pebbles of kindness, compassion, listening, sacrifice, understanding, selflessness, eventually a mighty pyramid will begin to grow. If it appears to take forever, remember happy marriages are meant to last forever. So be not weary in well-doing. For you are laying a foundation of a great marriage, and out of small things proceedeth that which is great. And he's quoting scripture there. 
And then he says, it may be a gradual work, but it doesn't have to be a cheerless one. In fact, at the risk of stating the obvious, divorce rarely happens when the husband and wife are happy. So be happy. And this whole entire talk, just he talks about people who save marriages and, you know, someone who's willing to work on their marriage hard enough to save it. And so, first of all, just to address that, you know, I really believe that even looking at, like I said before, my parents' marriage, it's not perfect, but it's a marriage that I've been able to idolize because I can always see how much effort they're willing to put into making things right and working things out. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But I want to keep going and and read a little bit more of this talk because this leads right into the takeaway that I want to give you, which is those who save marriages pull out the weeds and water the flowers. They celebrate the small acts of grace that spark tender feelings of charity. Those who save marriages save future generations. Brethren, remember why you fell in love. Work each day to make your marriage stronger and happier. My dear friends, let us do our very best to be numbered among those who hallowed and happy souls who saved their marriages. So I just want to talk about the pull out the weeds and water the flowers concept. And this applies to basically any relationship, your relationship in your marriage, with your kids, with a coworker, with anyone. If you are looking for things that will annoy you, you will find them all day long. And if you're looking to highlight or amplify the good, you will start seeing that person in that light. And I feel like when we, with our kids, ignore the junk and focus on the good, our kids just, they, they blossom under that type of highlighting instead of the pressure of you're doing this wrong, you're doing that wrong. And when I really take the time to just praise Neil for the things that he's doing right and be thankful and try to highlight that and thank him for every little thing that I can, those are the things that I feel like just, it's like my brain has a switch where I'm focusing on that. And I feel like that's been a huge thing in our marriage is just trying to focus on the good. And Neil is automatically better at this than I am. He just sees the good in people. So I don't know, maybe you can talk about. about. Yes. (laughs) I don't think so. I I mean, I think one thing that's helped me is recognizing my, like looking at myself first. And I mean, that's what I, I think recovery has demanded that. And in order to progress as you know, a human being and overcome challenges, it requires the, this, whatever situation I'm in or whatever I think, or, you know, whatever's going on, I have to look at myself and ask the question, like, where am I wrong? Where am I at fault? When have I done that? Especially if I call somebody else out or I'm like, man, I can't believe this person's doing that. Or did you hear this? Or did you hear that? It's like, have one, have I ever done that? Does that sound familiar? Does that sound a little bit like me maybe? And most of the time it's yes. And so I I learned that from a few different people. I think one, my brother was really good at this. My brother Dave was like the master of this. And so I think I learned it a lot from him and then giving the people giving people the benefit of the doubt. Um, you know, I, I've, I learned that I had a friend, my friend Carter was really good at that. I've always like, you know, someone would be saying something bad about somebody and he would be like, you know what? I actually think this person is, 
I like this about this person. He's a good person. And this is why I think he's great. And, you know, I can understand why they feel this way or seeing the other side of it. So um, that's what I strive to do. And it's not by no means am, am I perfect at it. It's, it's a, it's a work in progress. Trying. I think you're very, very, well, I think you're exceptional you. Thank at you that. for watering the flowers. You're welcome. But that's a takeaway that you can apply to any relationship that you're struggling with right now. If it's someone that's a sibling, um, your partner, your child, your coworker, anybody that you're struggling with, try looking at their strengths and amplifying those in your thoughts and in your words and just see what happens. Um, Another thing that I wanted to mention that I feel like has been a really helpful thing in our marriage, and who knows if this ever would have saved us from anything, but it's something that we take pretty seriously, and it's a rule that we got from my dad, and that is we just never are alone with a member of the opposite sex who's like, you know, in our age group. So that's something that we decided to set up as a rule And so it doesn't matter if it's a work thing or a friend thing or a whatever thing, you know, we just kind of have our rule. And we even try to take that rule into text messages too, whenever we can, you know, if I have to text someone. And in fact, I saw when I, um, I did a screenshot of our dentist when I asked him, you know, he did some dental work on me and I was numb for hours and I text Rich and said, Rich, how long am I going to be numb? And he said, oh, probably till Sunday. And I think it was like on Thursday and we were laughing, but I looped Neil into that text thread. So when I mentioned the screenshot, I just realized that maybe that didn't make sense. I shared it on social media that because it was funny that Rich had said, oh, you're going to be numb till Sunday. But somebody noticed that I had looped Neil into that conversation. And she wrote back and said, oh, do you always loop your husband into a conversation when you are texting someone who's, you know, when you're texting a man. And I said, yes. And so it kind of opened up this conversation between me and one of my followers. And she just thought that was super interesting. And I was like, oh, it just opened my mind to, yeah, everybody doesn't do this automatically, but it is something that we strive for. And there's obviously exceptions. If someone sends me a quick text asking a question, like I'll, you know, send them back a text. It's not a big deal. Or like, you know, if I have to meet with someone briefly for a church calling that happened, you know, a few months ago where I met with someone who's like my dad's age and we met for 10 minutes talking about a blood drive that we were planning. Like if it's something small like that, and especially if it's someone who's not in my age group, it's not quite as big of a deal. But when we can, we try to always make that something that we follow. And I think it's really been helpful to our marriage. I would agree. And we just do that as much as we can. We're not perfect at it. There's sometimes where, you know, someone might text me or someone might text Neil and we're not like crazy about it. But for the most part, if we can be intentional, we try to like loop each other into a text with one person of the opposite sex. And then we try to never be in a situation where we have to go to lunch or go hang out with someone alone. And It just is a safety net. It's in the same way that you wouldn't let your kid go swim in a pool alone until they're old enough to, you know, for sure there's no way they're going to drown. It's just kind of the same thing. And that's something that, again, my dad taught me that if he had to do a work lunch with a woman, he would just, you know, grab a secretary and bring her along or, you know, grab um, my Uncle Brett, who he worked with and, you know, 
they'd all go to lunch together. It's just not that hard. But I think it can save marriages. And we know a couple really well who Neil was saying they were like the superstar couple and nobody would have guessed that they would get divorced. And there was infidelity there. And and you can insert that with almost everybody knows a couple like that, right? Where you never would have seen that coming. And one thing leads to another. That's kind of how those things start. So that I think has been a super helpful thing for, you know, I've looked at my parents and I've looked at us and I've like, nobody has ever gone swimming alone, you know, in the pool and almost drowned because we just, we just have that rule. Let's talk about step 10. Neil, do you want to talk about step 10 and why that's so helpful in our marriage? Yeah. Um, so step 10, just off the top of that, I don't have it pulled up in front of me, but it's basically continue to take personal moral inventory. And when you're wrong, promptly admit it. Um, so what that looks like is throughout the day, if there are things that are off a little bit, or maybe there is a wrong or something that I do, there's in a marriage, you're bound to have disagreement, contention, you know, fights or whatever, it's just going to happen. So whenever I know that I, you know, am in that situation, it's taking the time to try and correct that as quickly as possible. And really for me, what it looks like is asking myself the question, where am I wrong? So that it takes the attacking somebody out of it instead of being like, well, you did this and you did that. And, you know, why aren't you, you know, so again, this is something I am practicing. I'm not even, Corinne will tell you. I mean, I'm sure she's got all kinds of stories and be like, yeah, you wouldn't believe. But but really, it's just you an have, effort. You would have stories about me too. It's an effort. It's <laughs> trying to take the principle and the concept and apply it. If something happens in our marriage or our relationship, promptly admitting where I'm at fault and where I'm wrong and then making an effort to correct it. And this has been a game changer for me because I used to sit on conflict. Two things. First of all, I used to sit on conflict because I just wasn't ready to resolve it. And I felt like until I'm ready, I'm not going to say anything. So we used to like do this dance. And all that does is it just like winds things up even tighter. It just like adds to the the contention or the even just the energy right of you being like frustrated with each other when you could diffuse it if you would just immediately say you're sorry so when I took that step 10 I when I got to step 10 and I took that seriously as a commitment to promptly admit when I was wrong I've found over the years that it has diffused things that probably would have blown up bigger if I had waited until I was totally ready you know to say I'm sorry I feel like that has been huge. And the other thing is that it's taught me that you don't have to necessarily abandon whatever you are upset about in order to say you're sorry. So for example, if let's say I'm just totally making something up, but if Neil was supposed to be home at seven and he came home at eight and I was super frustrated and I blew up at him or I made some like rude remark and then, you know, a few minutes later, I was thinking about it and I'm like, I know that was wrong. And he probably had a good reason, even if I even if I'm not feeling like even if he was just 100 percent in the wrong, I don't have to give up the fact that I was frustrated that he came home late. Just to be able to say, hey, you know what, I shouldn't have made that remark or I shouldn't have gotten mad and I'm sorry. And so you don't have to, it doesn't have to be a black or white, all wrong, all right. Like you were totally right. I was totally wrong. You can still 
have the feelings that you had about whatever the situation is, but take ownership of whatever you did wrong. And I think that because I've had that mind shift, and maybe this is just totally elementary for everyone else, but for me, it was like a game changer to be like, I can take responsibility for my actions when they're wrong, even if I felt like they were a little bit justified, or even if I felt like I had a good reason to be upset, if that makes sense. And I feel like that has made all the difference in us being able to move forward from conflict instead of get stuck in it. So that's really been helpful. That step 10, I feel like has completely changed the dynamic of our marriage and not that our marriage is perfect at like I feel like we keep saying that over and over, yeah. but I, I don't even, I think that can even sound like a little trite, like, oh, well, we're not perfect, but you know, it's, you hear that and it's kind of like, especially if you faced challenges or major issues or, and you hear people say that it can almost be like, man, like it just sounds so simple. Like, well, no one's perfect, but Hey, you know, it's like, man, you know, we struggle, we have our challenges, like we really do. And, but it's, these pro this process, this step, you know, what you're talking about that's helped us to kind of get, you know, get past that. And so step 10, I love it. I think I'll, I'll off, often refer to it as the marriage step yeah. because I think that's really where the relationship can heal and great things can happen. I feel like another thing that really, really strengthened our marriage was going to the temple weekly. And I am so missing those temple dates right now. And, you know, obviously not everyone who's listening to this is a member of our church, so they might not share that same ritual or, you know, weekly goal or whatever, or may not even be weekly. But I feel like if you can do something that's really meaningful with your spouse on a regular cadence, um, and I think it especially helped us that it was something that was strengthening our spirituality and also service, all of those elements were so key in doing something that strengthen our marriage too at the same time. And I've heard a lot of people say like, you need to have a hobby together or you need to, you know, I think that if you can build something into your marriage where it's an automatic every week we do this together and, you know, extra super bonus points, if it's something that's strengthening your spirituality or strengthening or um, serving others, you know, if it's something that falls into those categories too, it probably will be even more powerful. But I feel like that was such a huge strength in our marriage. Would you agree? Yeah. No, I think I definitely agree because I think that there's something about those components of focusing on the spiritual or service that brings everything together so that you have, I don't know, it, it, it brings another element to your relationship that's kind of a, it's a, the core element. It's like the element to focus on. Yeah. It's like, I feel like it created another layer of strong, like a, another strength layer for us. And I've really missed that with quarantine, but I think that, you know, in whatever way that looks like for you and, and my mom even gave me advice, you know, with when they became empty nesters, like find things that you can do with your spouse, because, I think a lot of people make the marriage all about the kids and all about the kids' hobbies. And then when they're gone, it's kind of like, well, now what, you know? And I'm watching my parents just thrive off of working together in this mission that they're in. And they're doing 100% service all of the time. And I just think that's such a cool thing to watch them do and how see how it strengthened their marriage. But 
you know, obviously everyone isn't in a position to do 100% of service 100% of the time like they are. But, you know, if you can pick one thing that you can do together that's meaningful, that is a passion, and like I said, bonus points if it's something that's going to strengthen your spirituality or serve others, I really believe that 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 helps. Okay, and then the last thing that we wanted to talk about is just the expectation of marriage. And Neil had some thoughts on this. No, I did. And I think it goes back to what we kind of started with, with why you get married or what your expectations are in getting married. You kind of, I, I know at least I did. And I think a lot of people that I, that I know and, and have talked to have a lot of thoughts about what it's going to be like or how this person is going to change your life. And then, you know, we talked about what Dr. Finlayson Fife says kind of about that and a lot of people getting married for the wrong reasons. But one thing that I've realized is the reality of marriage is it it does take a lot of work, like a lot of work. It's like, man, it it just it just isn't like that. And I think that that can throw people a bit and and kind of like, wow, man, I didn't think it was going to be like this or I didn't think you know, would be so challenging or, wow, this is actually a lot of hard work and it's, you know, it's not happening the way that I thought it would. So um, President Gordon B. Hinckley of our church, he he gave this talk and he quoted, it's actually a quotation from a um, editorial column from a newspaper, but he, he kind of quotes this. Um, he says, anyone who imagines that bliss is normal is going to waste a lot of time running around shouting that he's been robbed. Most putts don't drop. Most beef is tough. Most children grow up to be just people. Most successful marriages require a high degree of mutual toleration. Most jobs are more often dull than otherwise. Life is like an old-time rail journey. Delays, sidetracks, smoke, dust, cinders, and jolts, interspersed only occasionally by beautiful vistas and thrilling bursts of speed. The trick is to thank the Lord for letting you have the ride. So I really like that because I think that I actually first heard that quote from you. And it was while we were dating, <laughs> because I think that we were talking a lot about this. And I think that you had a level head about this and just were able to kind of help me understand, like, look, it it's it's challenging. It's not perfect. It's, you know, there are things that you're both working on and working through, and it's not going to be, you know, this amazing, blissful experience all of the time, or even a lot of the time, it's just going to be work, but that's the way that it's supposed to be. And there are those, you know, so many of those beautiful, wonderful moments that are blissful and that there's these amazing vistas. And I think that, you know, focusing on, on those and remembering and, and, enjoying those moments is really what it, what it's all about. Yeah. And I feel like for me, whenever we've had any type of a struggle in our marriage, I've always been able to go back to that moment when Neil and I prayed about whether we should get married and had just a super strong, overwhelming feeling that that's what Heavenly Father wanted. And I've always been able to go back to that. And that's been a real strength in our marriage. And Um, I wanted to share a little, just a cute little story too, just to tie a bow on it because, you know, to balance out the marriage is hard work, which I am a hundred percent behind and I believe in. I don't want anyone to listen to this, especially someone who maybe isn't married yet and think, oh my gosh, that sounds awful. I don't want to get married. (laughs) Um, 
that there are beautiful moments and there are such sacred things that you get to share. Like, you know, the moment when the, the moments that our babies were born or just, you know, really special memories that we've had together. And this is one that was recent when, when we were at my little brother Jake's wedding and I was sitting there watching all these young kids on the dance floor and I'm super pregnant. And feeling like, oh, that was a long time ago when I was like in my early 20s and had that much energy. Like I was just sitting there watching that thinking like, oh, yeah, I remember the days (laughs) as a, you know, 35 year old, super pregnant mother of three, soon to be four. And um, this song the time of my life from Dirty Dancing came on and Neil (laughs) looked at me and said, do you want to dance? And I said, yeah, I would like to dance. And we got up and he just danced with me. And I, it just was this like magical, fun little moment of feeling like, you know what? It, he loves me even though I'm super pregnant and not as young or skinny or fresh as some of these <laughs> other people. I and, thought you looked amazing. Well, thanks. But it just was like this little moment that I hung on to for weeks. I remember kind of like the water, the flowers instead of the weeds. Like I just kept thinking about that moment for weeks after that because it just kind of like, I don't know, it was just this special little magical moment for me. And those still happen. They will still happen throughout your marriage and they will like hang on to those when those little things happen, when your spouse does something. Another thing that Neil like wrote this little note to me on a post-it and stuck it on the, the shower something about, I love you, have a wonderful day or whatever. I, I kept it on there for like a few months. So little things like that, you know, you can, you can focus your energy there. You can, you know, revel in that and remember that again, I want to read this one more time from Dieter Uchtdorf. Those who save marriages, pull out the weeds and water the flowers. They celebrate the small acts of grace that spark tender feelings of charity. And So I just, you know, want to give you guys hope if you are feeling like, gosh, does anyone stay together anymore? Like marriage is hard or how do you, you know, how do you make your marriage work or how do you make it better? Like these beautiful, wonderful marriages are built brick by brick and they take time. And, you know, one more time, I'll just read this little part, you know, where he says, no matter how flat your relationship may be at the present, if you keep adding pebbles of kindness, compassion, listening, sacrifice, understanding, and selflessness, eventually a mighty pyramid will begin to grow. If it appears to take forever, remember, happy marriages are meant to last forever. So thanks for listening today, and I hope you guys have a great week. Here's to happy marriages. Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow. Subscribe to our Apple Podcasts and rate and review us if you like us. And to get show notes, go to mintarrow.com slash podcast. And you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox. And we'll email you every time there's a new episode.